real thin and, and you're just, I can't tell you how many uh, requests I get on uh, Facebook or on uh, email where they'll go, uh, if this is Framer, uh, fill in the dates when you can come talk. Uh, these are the dates we have open. And that's how they ask it. I'm just going like, geez, Louise. I mean, just, um, and Travis tracked me down and we spent a, a day or two talking together. And it's just like, golly, sometimes you just go, okay, I'd, I would walk over broken glass bottles barefooted to do a talk with that guy. It just, uh, um, I'm so grateful for your kindness, buddy. And, and it's so fun. Look at this, this uh, bunch of folks tonight on this thing. Uh, I, I saw Terrence on there and Ross from California and Donnie in Houston and Dennis Timkey from south of the Mason-Dixon someplace. I can't remember where he is now, but there's so many folks that I know on here. It's just a, a real treat. It looks like some solid folks. Congrats to all you guys that were celebrating birthdays. That's um, it's, a, it's just an amazing thing these days, especially with the kind of the Zoom good stuff, but there's also Zoom chaos, and it's kind of a – cool to see people that still uh, will um, make a stand and say, hey, listen, I managed to stay sober for all of this time, and this is what I did, and, and how cool is that? And uh, for some of you guys and gals that I haven't met, my name is Myers Raymer. I'm a great recovered alcoholic from uh, Dallas, Texas, and um, it's just a, just a treat um, to, uh, to be there. Um, I love me some Arizona. I jump at the chance to, to come out there as, as often as I can. It's just pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Um, when I was talking to Travis, we were talking about the, the talk, what I was going to talk about. And, and um, um, I get tired of story stuff and uh, I wanted to talk about some other stuff. And so we started talking about step 12 stuff. And so we'll, I'll kind of get into that. There's a little piece of story that I want to talk to you about because it, it colors to some extent, my experience in uh, recovery land, and, and um, it's it's been a um, an interesting deal. I um, um, I sobered up January fifteenth, eighty eight, uh, which was two months after my evil twin Chris Raymer sobered up, and uh, Chris actually took me to my very first AA meeting, um, and it was pretty. Uh, uh, pretty uh, cool. And, and, and he had had multiple sobriety dates before he got sober. I fell in love with AA. The moment they took me to a meeting, I went, holy cow, this is the coolest thing that I've ever been involved with. Big old narrow room full of people with smoking 50 cigarettes a minute. And uh, it, that room would just fill up with smoke like that. And I mean, it was just, I'd never experienced anything like it. And, and it was just really kind people and, um, it, it was it was cool, and I got sober and uh, and stayed sober, and everything was mucho groovy for about three years. Um, somewhere toward the end of my third year in sobriety, I started getting kind of goofy again, and um, it's hard to explain. Uh, it did. I'm not drinking. I'm not back at a crazy, stupid dope house. I'm not doing anything like that, but I'm finding myself um, in a situation where um, I'm starting to kind of come apart. Uh, I'm dealing with some anxiety disorders that I had never really manifested before, and I'm trying to find some medications for that. It's kind of scary. And, um, um, and then the, I get the, this, the anxiety stuff under control, and then I end up with the depression comes back. And I'd, I'd had lots of history uh, being depressed, and um, 
it's funny. I always think about this lady when I, when I talk about being depressed, I remember sitting in a meeting and she said, Oh, I, I know. I just like, I remember one time I got up and I was just felt kind of blue and I went, Oh lady, hush. <laughs> that's not what I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about, I can't get out of bed. I can't function. I can't work. I, I can't, it's, it's pretty ugly. And my wife is, who's my business partner at work. And I'm, I'm a bookbinder by trade. If some of y'all remember books. I don't know. Some of you might not remember those things, but um, the, uh, it's sort of an amazing thing that, that um, uh, she's baffled because she, like me, she thought that once we got the booze out of the picture, that everything was going to be, you know, sweet, that everything would be great. And, and I would finally be the husband I was supposed to be and the father I was supposed to be and the employer I was supposed to be. It's getting kind of embarrassing. My name's on the side of the building and I've got employees that are getting really goofy around me because they don't know who I am. I mean, I'm starting to act weird. And, and um, I don't know, guys, let me ask y'all a question. The, the, do any of y'all ever find yourself being like one, one guy in an AA meeting and then later you realize like by the time you get home that you're a completely different guy? Uh, that you've changed in a short drive home or a long drive. In my case, it's an hour to get home, but, but it's like, I'll be one guy in AA and one guy at church and one guy with people I fly airplanes with and ride motorcycles with and this kind of stuff. I mean, I'm just kind of this, this weird stage character. Imagine my surprise years later when I finally got off my skinny rear end and read the actual big book. It took forever, um, uh, but I actually read it, and, and they described me on page 60, 61, and 62, right before the third step prayer. This stage character that they described is a perfect illustration of me. I can be really nice, and I can be really uh, a, a jerk, depending on what it is that I'm getting or not getting. These are the things that, I, that, are, that are starting to manifest all at one time. I'm, I'm eating bluebell ice cream like it's going out of style every night. I've gained 25 pounds. I'm, I'm, I'm buying tons of stuff that I don't need. Um, I'm spending money I don't have. Guys, I, listen, I, I learned to fly right after I got sober, and I thought that would be fun, and it, and it was, but then I realized I needed an airplane, so I bought this airplane, and then if, you, if any of you guys ever fly, if y'all have ever flown, you'll know how expensive it is just to maintain uh, uh, one of those things, and so a little while later, I bought me another one, and then two years later, I bought me another one. My wife is sitting there kind of looking at me going like, Myers, we can't afford one and we have three now. Um, and it's just, I'm buying tools I don't use. I'm buying music I don't listen to. I'm buying clothes I don't wear. I'm just trying to, in retrospect, looking back, I realized this was, was me scratching itch that had come back and, and I didn't know what it was. The book would, would, would call it Restless, Irritable, and Discontent. I'm dying of untreated alcoholism, but I don't know how to deal with it. Um, it's kind of, kind of ironic that uh, Bill Wilson and Bob in the first 100 uh, kind of codified this program and put it in a book, but I'm too lazy to read the book. I've got a sponsor and name only. I haven't worked the steps. So at five years sober, I am um, I, I'm kind of a kind of a nervous wreck. I am. Um, 
this idea of suicide is crept into the picture and every day I'm getting up thinking that today's the day I'm going to kill myself. And, and it's just a, a terrifying to my family. We had another baby girl after that. And so I've got two little girls would end up, end up having another one too. And, uh, um, it, it's just, um, not a real, uh, real good place. I, I keep, I keep trying to explain to people, uh, what's going on. I, cause I don't know, I got a lot of friends in AA and I talk about it a lot. And, um, we were sitting in this meeting one night and I had already made up my mind that I was going to do this kind of this swan song kind of fall on my own sword in the meeting and tell everybody that I was going to quit AA. And I knew that eventually I would drink. I knew that that was the case. And, and so I remember talking to this guy, it, it, talking to this, this group of people sitting around a circle in this AA meeting. And, and, um, um, I'd already shared it three times that week. We, we had 32 meetings a week in that group. And, and, uh, and I'm trying to explain to him that I'm going to leave, that it's not, A's not working for me. And, and this guy interrupts me and he said, Myers, Myers, stop. Let me, dude, let me ask you this question. Did, did you get up this morning and take a drink? And I went, no, I didn't. The cat's name is Horse Jim. That's all I remember, Horse Jim. I said, no, Horse, I didn't. And, and he said, uh, well, then you're a winner, Myers. And I went, all right. I remember walking out of that room and I walked out on the street, my old Toyota Land Cruisers parked out there on the sidewalk. And I, I remember getting in behind that wheel and I closed the door and I put my head down that steering wheel and I cried like a little kid. I just wept and wept and wept. Guys, listen, I don't want to drink. I don't want to go to a stinking dope house. I don't want to do anything like that. It, it, I don't want to do that. But I got to tell you, if this is all sobriety is about, is staying sober one stupid day at a time. I don't want that either. And I'm left with this crazy emptiness that I had never dealt with before. As, let me tell you, at, I'm three weeks shy of seven years sober, and I'm as unhappy as I've ever been and as desperate as I've ever been. I, there must be a solution. Out of some desperation, I called Chris, the evil twin, who's now moved to the hill country down in central Texas. And he got a sponsor cat by the name of Mark Houston. And Mark was teaching him some big book stuff. And every time I talked to Chris, Chris was pretty excited, pretty happy. And I said, uh, I told him what was going on. And he said, Myers, he said, I don't know what to tell you, dude. You up for, for two years now, I've watched you get sicker and sicker sitting in those meetings. And two years ago, I suggested that you go find another group where you could study the basic text and you could learn uh, what this program is all about. And, uh, and I, and I kind of went, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do that, Chris. A couple of weeks later, Chris calls me and he said, so how'd the new meeting work out? And I said, Chris, I haven't, I haven't gone yet. And he hung up the phone and then I called him back and I said, you hung up on me. And he said, I don't know what to tell you. I, I mean, I don't know what to do to help you. I've, I've made all the suggestions I can like that. Your problem is that you're, you're dealing with a situation that's going to get worse, never better. Um, and you're trying to deal with it. Just go into a bunch of meetings. Uh, I, it's, it's just, come on. The program is more than that. And I went, okay, I get it. And so he had given me the name of a crusty old guy named Cliff Bishop. And I, uh, he's been, he passed away two or three years ago now. And, and uh, Clifford, uh, changed everything about my program and about my relationship with everybody, including God. It, it was, he was sort of a, 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 an iconic guy. He was sponsored by Joe McQueney of Joe and Charlie. 
and so you kind of connect up the book stuff. You know, you're not going to do this program without understanding the basic text. And so, and I didn't understand any of it. I mean, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm over seven years sober now, and I still don't know what alcoholism is. I still don't even know for sure if I'm a real alcoholic. Now, how weird is that? I still got this lurking notion but nobody ever qualified me. Nobody ever helped me see the truth because we were too busy talking about so-and-so's dead cat and so-and-so's inability to get a job or hold a job or some blah, blah, blah. I, I, the nicest people that I've ever known in my whole life, I will never spank them. But dang, it was frustrating in retrospect, looking back how many countless hours we spent in meetings talking about things that had nothing to do with recovery. Nothing do with it um pretty frustrating um clifford gathered me up and got me going and and we we uh made some progress um i'm almost nine years sober so I, after about two years over with this book study in dallas I, I i'm getting pretty good at the book i'm kind of you know mr big book i i, I really kind of know what i'm doing and this sort of thing i'll, I'll be perfectly transparent with you I'm, I'm feeling better to some extent. The suicidal thoughts have disappeared, um, but I'm still not sponsoring anybody. And this is where it gets weird, guys, because the, the, there's a piece of me that wants a logical piece of, of science or wisdom that supports everything. And Clifford's been telling me for two years, Myers, as quick as you have this experience with the work, your responsibility is to get off your rear and go help somebody else that's it. And I went, Oh, okay. I, I, I will. Now that's what I said. Uh, but my actions screamed, I've got better ideas. And, and I, and I did guys, listen, I'm I, here. Here it is. I'm raising three daughters uh, and I've got a wife and I've got uh, other things. I'm a beekeeper. I've got uh, a bindery to run. I've got all this. I'm real spread out. I got all these things going on like this. And I would always tell myself, when things slow down, I'll get busy doing this, this stuff. Sometimes I'd set the meeting up and I'd say, that's my 12 step work. I'm setting the meeting up. Well, the, I know it's going to be a shock to some of you guys. Cause it really, it really was to me. Um, there's nowhere in the big book that says go into meetings is your 12 step work. Otherwise, uh, 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 Bill Wilson, those cats would have written it in the book that way. They would have said, step 13, go to meetings but he didn't. Um, and so all of the little think, think, think and the aphorisms and all the other stuff that um, I think there are people out there that managed to say sober doing that. But I think if you're like uh, um, me in a lot of ways, maybe a less hairy version of me, um, that you would um, recognize that there's, there's more there um, that we really need to kind of move towards. And so all of this is for a reason. I, I want you to understand because my life in AA has been the, the it was really tough and then it got really, really good. Um, and, and there were two things that separated it that made it the, the transition into what, um, what I look as today is this kind of grand um, coolness. Um, and those two things were, is that I stopped playing games with working with others. It, it is not an optional piece of the puzzle. It is not something that you can take or or leave if you want to. Um, I mean, in the end, I guess 
it's up to you whether or not you want to do that, but it was an integral part. Go back and read, um, starting way back over in um, uh, uh, Dr. Silkworth stuff in the front of the book, and then look at how many times Bill Wilson and, and the first 100 of these guys talk about um, work and self-sacrifice for others, work and self-sacrifice for others. It was just like this, 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 maybe it's because they say it so much that we just ignore it. Um, I mean, there were two key functions that repeat over and over, two key um, uh, uh, points that keep being repeated throughout the book. One was work and self-sacrifice for others, and the other one was a deepening relationship with our creator, that God was the center, the psychic change, that this kind of stuff, that if my goal was to stand in the sunlight of the spirit, I had to do something to be there, um, and the steps were instrumental uh, in order to get me there. And so these were all things that eluded me, guys. I'm, 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 I'm gonna, you know, it's an amazing deal. I, so, so here I am. I'm, I'm two years um, in, at that group. So I'm now nine years sober, um, and um, I'm starting to sense that I'm missing something, and I didn't realize that I'm missing it because I'd made conscious decisions to not do certain things. And, and I could be a high-profile guy in, I, in AA in my group. I could always be there. I could always fill a seat. I could always share. I could always. But until I actually did what they were asking me to do, and what they were asking me to do is, is um, get busy and go help somebody. Let me tell you why this is a big deal to me. It's a big deal to me because it was the most life-changing, life-altering thing that I ever did. But in sponsoring men over the years, and I've sponsored hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, probably most of them I never have met. They've been men other places. And in, I can't count, couldn't count how many men I've talked to that were in exactly the same kind of situation. I will never ask you how many meetings you're going to. I don't give a fuzzy rats, you know what? I don't care how many meetings you're going to. What I will ask you is how much time are you spending with God's kids today? How much time are you spending helping another drunk through this nightmare? Um, and if you are, are working with some folks, I don't worry about you. If you're not working with them, um, then I am. And I've sponsored a lot of guys that, that are approaching 30 years sober. Um, I've probably sponsored 10 or 11 guys that are, are, are 25, 26, 27 years sober, and they've never sponsored anybody. And I don't judge them because, man, I would have been there had it not been for Cliff Bishop getting – getting heavy handed with me one night and just saying, Myers, there's a really, really good chance that you won't make it, that you will die a drunk um, unless you get busy doing what we've been asking you to do for two years. Um, and I went, okay, I will. And then they, I'm not going to get into the story because I got some other stuff I want to go over, but they tricked me into going to the Salvation Army. And I, I went and um, uh, I mean, they, they said, we're going to be there. We'll have us a big old time. And then nobody showed up uh, except me. And so I have to stand there and teach, which I could do. I was scared spitless. I'll never forget how scared I was um, because my, my head says, Myers, you're too stupid. You're too slow. You're too distracted. You're too whatever uh, to do this. Um, and, and you will be hard on yourself. Y'all ever notice how hard you are on yourself? I mean, it's an amazing thing to see. I mean, we'll beat the crap out of ourselves about things. Um, and the reality of this stuff is, is that what, sometimes what we got to do is just get us 
out of the way and um and we'll be okay um so i i did that little talk that night and this guy uh, that was there that night asked me to come back the next night and i was sort of amazed that they asked me to come back but i did and it changed everything at the end of that night i had four or five guys ask me to sponsor them um and um and everything changed i'm talking i'm talking Guys, I spent years in churches hoping for that kind of, of transformational deal. And, and when I had four or five guys ask me to sponsor them in one night and I had to figure out how it was I was going to get these guys through this work and how I was going to do this stuff, this whole thing about working with others began to take form and it began to um, um, be real. It wasn't just something that we just talked about it. I was talking it to death um, and what I needed to do was shut up Quit talking about it and get busy trying to help somebody. Um, and it was, uh, it was magic. I stayed there for, at Salvation Army for another maybe five or six months. And then this, this gig opened up at, at Homeward Bound in Oak Cliff, uh, kind of right up next to the, this crazy area in Dallas. And, um, um, and I stayed there for years and years and years. And um, somebody asked me one time, they said, Myers, if, if your house was on fire, what would, you, what would you take out? What would you grab before it burned down? And I sat there and I laughed for a minute. I said, you're, you're going to be surprised about this. Those guys at Homeward Bound gave me a plaque one time after I'd been there about six or seven months. And it said, My, it said Mr. Myers, because they always call me that. I don't know why. And Mr. Myers, sponsor of the year. And, and it was just this little plaque like that. But I'll never forget the night that they gave that to me. And I remember looking at it and going, holy cow. And it's on, the, it's on my wall now. And I just kind of go, golly, um, how do you get from there to there? The cool part about it was, was that everything else began to change. Because once I began to be involved in the disciplines of 10, 11, and 12, uh, with a, a prayer life that was real instead of just some superficial goofiness, um, and realized that um, there were people that I could help. Let me ask you, how many of y'all have ever noticed how many times in quiet time in the morning, if you pray that God would bring you somebody that you could help, that, that God could direct your, your attention to folks that were in need, how often it is that the next telephone call or some little busted up train wreck that needs help or needs connecting up or needs whatever else like that. I mean, it just over and over and over again. So to, to the point that today it's just laughable. I mean, I don't even... People go, well, Myers, I just don't know who I can help. Oh, just it's not your job to figure that out. We don't, you don't need to even know that. Like that, what you need to know is, is am I willing to get out of my head and get off my rear end and go do something for somebody else? And if you are, rock on. You'll you'll live that life. Don Pritz, one of my favorite guys from Denver, said one time, he said in an early talk that he did, he said, um, um, in the talk, he said, I'm concerned that somewhere along the line, we stopped talking about recovery and settled on sobriety. And, and, I, and I, it didn't mean that much when I first heard it. And then later I listened to it again and I went, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Um, sometime when you're in a literature-based meeting or a step study, I mean, a book study, notice how many times Bill used the word recovered in the book over and over and over again. I mean, they, they start off on the title page and... Back over on page 90, they asked us to introduce ourselves as recovered. And yet you can't, I couldn't count how many emails I get from people beating me up because I introduced myself as a recovered alcoholic. 
go read page 90. Read it any way you want to read it. But he's clear that this is what we're supposed to do. Early in AA, up through the first 30 or so years of, of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, everybody introduced themselves as recovered. It wasn't until that we got a bunch of outside influence um, that things started changing and people, no, 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 you're always going to be sick. You're always going to be, no, man. There's a huge difference in staying sober one day at a time and, and um, being um, recovered. There's a huge, huge difference on that stuff. And so the, the, I think sometimes people get real judgmental about it. They get, it's a kind of a, um, people's hair catches on fire when you talk about it like that. It's like talking about qualifying a drunk. Um, it, it's like you want to see people get weirded out like that. I've seen some on some Zooms that, that people were just like, oh, I'm leaving. And then just like when you talk about qualifying people, well, go back and read the text and look at how much time they spent. Bill Wilson, chapter seven, spends an entire chapter talking about working with a drunk which had a lot of qualifying in there. They were trying to help you understand what your truth was. Guys, listen, the reason that I was so unhappy for seven years in AA was because nobody had ever really qualified me. And they just left it up to me. And I'm the sickest knucklehead in there. And they just leave it up to me. Well, give me enough time to rattle around in my head. I'll justify all kinds of crazy behavior. And we see this stuff all the time. I think our job is to try to help folks. Um, this is like sponsorship 101 stuff, guys, and I'll kind of move into that direction because I want, I want to be clear about some of this stuff. Um, you're going to, one of our jobs here truly is to help you understand what the, what alcoholism is. If you want to do something that's truly interesting, um, sit in a meeting like a regular, just a regular old garden variety uh, uh, discussion meeting, sit in a meeting and somebody says, well, you want to, we don't have a topic. And you say, well, let's talk about what alcoholism is. Just bring that as the topic. And let me tell you what's going to happen. Okay. You'll have, you'll have um, uh, maybe you will share what alcoholism is. And then somebody else, the guy that follows you or the gal that follows you might um, share it. But by the third person that shares, it's, it'll sound like this. Well, you know, I know that, you know, but, you know, for me, and then they start talking, all of a sudden it was that DWI and it was just, and then all of a sudden we shift. And then every share after that is people talking about their, their story. But listen, guys, this, your story doesn't define alcoholism. It defines your story. This is the reason why when you go look at Jim's story and Fred's story in the front of the book and you look at how important it was, and when both of these guys get into trouble uh, and they call AA, what, is the, what do the AA guys say? We told them what we knew about alcoholism. Then three other places in the big book, they refer us back to, quote unquote, the chapter on alcoholism, chapter two and chapter three. They're trying to send us back over there so that we can understand what, what alcoholism is. My alcoholism and, and, and Travis's alcoholism are the same. Our stories may not be. I didn't have sex with a bunch of collie dogs like Travis did. But, but it, it, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Y'all understand it's like um, um, <laughs> our stories can, be, can alienate stuff. And, and so this is the reason why it's so important that we understand that there's a physical component he and I both have it. There's a mental component. He and I both have it. It's all driven by this crazy spiritual malady. And he and I, we, we manifest this. And so it's important to understand so that we can describe this so we can help people understand 
um, what it is that they need to to uh, to see about this stuff. Um, so let's talk for a few minutes. Let, let's talk for a few minutes why people don't want to sponsor the the obstacles that stand in the way. Most of this has to do with the fact that there's so much confusion around what sponsorship looks like and what working with others looks like. Like that, we we make it sound like it's so. Um, um, if you all ever talk to a whole group of people about the fifth step or the fourth and fifth step, you'll hear 50 different versions of what it looks like. The book gives us a pretty good idea what it is, but, but everybody has their own, their own deal on it like that. Well, sponsorship and stuff is the same. Depending on where you are geographically, you may be in an area where sponsorship is really strong. You may be in an area like where I am in Dallas, which is kind of like the armpit of AA in a lot of places. I mean, there's lots of crazy ideas about about what sponsorship looks like, like that. Um, and so, the 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 what we were trying to get was some clarity. Um, that's the reason why the single most codifying piece of what I'm talking about tonight is is the stuff that Bill Wilson talked about over on page 17. And, and what he what he was talking about was a common solution. The way I present this work, and the way Nick presents this work, and the way you know Dennis. Uh, 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 presents it. We're all going to present it a little bit differently, but the basics of what we're talking about, what the disease looks like, what the spiritual solution of your problem looks like over here, what all of this is, this should be really, really tight, really close together. It shouldn't be a lot of difference in, in that. That common solution was huge. And let me tell you why. If you, if, because I had to find out the hard way. If you, um, if you understand what the basic text says, about our disease and about what the program looks like, then you'll do away with 90% of the confusion. And the problem that we have in AA worldwide is confusion. We let new people come in and sit and sit and sit and with this threadbare idea that if they sit long enough, they'll hear what they need. And I swear guys and gals, I, I cannot make it line up with my experience. My experience is, is that when Travis decides he wants to stop and he shows up at an AA meeting, if we let Travis sit and sit and sit, he might hear what he needs, but statistically he might not. It depends on where he is. That's the stuff I was talking about. There's so much confusion, and then we just let him piece together this stuff. So let me connect this up. This is the reason why my first responsibility to brand new men that I'm working with is to tell them the truth. Tell them the truth about, about where they are uh, with their disease, uh, that they have a, a, a fatal illness, that it's going to kill them or get them locked up, one of the two, if they don't do something. I, I'm going to try to help them understand that there is a solution uh, and what that solution looks like, that they can be free of this ugliness of this disease. They don't have to do it one day at a time. The book says we live life one day at a time, but it doesn't say we stay sober one day at a time. We stay sober for good and for all. And so we need to talk about that stuff. If you go back and read chapter seven, working with others, one of the first things that you'll notice is how quickly they seem to be moving through the work. Uh, Bill Wilson and Bob and those guys understood that there was a timeliness to this. Um, they reference it back to page 24 in the book where they'll talk about this. We won't remember uh, with sufficient force the pain and humiliation of of even a week or a month ago. Guys, time is not your friend when you're dealing with a brand new guy that you're trying to help. 
I've watched thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to AA and sit and sit and sit until the madness comes back in the picture again, the insanity rears its head again, all being driven by this restless, irritable, and discontent, and they just simply, they just simply vanish. Um, uh, there was a timeliness. If you're a history nerd like I am, uh, when you have opportunities to talk to historians in AA, one of, the one of the best questions you can ask is, what is your opinion on the timeliness that we work people through the work? And 100% of the time, I've never heard any historian ever tell me anything different. They will always say, the early 30 or 40 years of AA, when our success rates were over 90%, um, how quickly were they working them through the work? And they go, hey, they were working them pretty through. Pretty quick, 30 days, 45 days. You know, sometimes it depends on a scheduling thing. I, I get it like this. But, but come on, I don't think there's anybody in this room that hasn't talked to somebody that has been in AA before and then they relapsed and you ask them, where, where were you on the step stuff? And they go, well, we hadn't really finished. Wait a minute, you've been in the room for a year and you hadn't finished the steps yet? Yeah, but we were doing them like maybe one step a month or two or what. I don't want to get into a peeing contest with anybody about that stuff, but I'm just saying we, we ought to try to line it up with what uh, our success rates indicated was so powerful. I mean, we just go faster. Um, I'm not trying to run anything up anybody. I'm not trying to force feed anybody, but I'm just saying um, when the willingness is there and the, 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 the desperation is still there, let's move forward. It's the greatest motivator I know. Um, I don't care who you are, a, a guy or a gal, I don't care who you are. If you come into these rooms and sit long enough, your head, which looks just like my head, will start justifying and rationalizing all kinds of crazy behavior. You know, that guy over there, he does look kind of weird, but he keeps looking at me and maybe we could get sober together and then I wouldn't have to do these steps. Okay, now doesn't that seem like an odd deal, but I've watched hundreds of women do that. It's quit, quit doing that. Let, let, let's just get, get, get busy. And what you'll find is, is that before you know it, you'll have these guys do the work and you'll have them um, um, talking to you all of a sudden about their experience with God this morning. And you'll go, holy cow, how did that happen? It's just um, uh, pretty, uh, pretty uh, uh, amazing. Um, what we need is some clarity. We just need to, to, to get clear on what it is that we're supposed to do. Guys, my job is to love you enough to tell you the truth. Um, uh, this idea that I have to be your best friend to sponsor you, I, I think is, is sometimes a mistake. I'll be honest with you. I've got some men that are creepy as crap, and I'm not, I don't even want them to know where I live. I mean, they're just like Satan incarnate. I, I, don't, I don't, my job I'll grow to love them enough that I, I want to do whatever I can to help them. But this idea that I've got to raise them, that I have to, no. I mean, come on, you, you can accept so many responsibilities, guys. But, uh, but I don't want to shoulder the responsibility for Travis's getting sober or not getting sober. I want to be crystal clear from the beginning. I am a conduit of some information. I want to be able to show you what a program looks like clear enough that you can have your own experience with your creator. And every time we talk, I'm going to be moving you back towards a relationship with that creator, back towards that kind of thing. This is all about you and God, not you and me. 
Um, I, I just like, and after you've sponsored a bunch of folks, you'll begin to understand. You'll begin to to uh, to, uh, to see that. Um, I got a million ways I want to go with this thing, and I've only got a few minutes here. Uh, let me. I want to tell you a quick story that that kind of ties this stuff together. What I, what it is that I'm talking about. Um, there's a there's a guy. Um, let me tell you why I want to tell you this story real quick. Um, in in Zoomland, I'm seeing lots and lots and lots of people that are coming in and being ignored. I didn't notice it tonight very much. Uh, I'm, there's a, uh, but I've been on some meetings that were amazingly embarrassing for me to be in that meeting because there were people in there that were obviously new. I mean, when you got a guy rocking back and forth, chewing his fingernail like this, I mean, he's not comfortable. He, he, he needs some, and, and so we're, we're, I think we need to redouble our effort in paying attention who might be new in that room so that we can gather them up and try to help them see uh, what what needs to be done. And, and so it's not complicated. It just, um, you have to kind of commit to the idea that my job um, if is to try to help God's kids in any way that I can. One of my favorite jobs, it's always been uh, breeder, as a greeter. And I'm not a type A personality. I get scared spitless just sticking a hand out. It, it, I'm real uncomfortable doing it. But um, there, there was this guy at our at our group that I sponsored for years who was a junior PGA golf pro, and he was just an amazing kid, real young, and and uh, uh, a mess um, around the booze. And we'd had multiple conversations about what he needed to do, which was get busy and try to find some folks to work with. And he always seemed to find an excuse not to. And so one night um, I came around a corner in this big courtyard out in front of where we meet. And there's in a little bit, there's going to be 200 plus people in that room. And so, but, but right then there were probably 30 people in the room and there were probably 40 or 50 people out smoking in that big courtyard. And when I walked around the corner, a lot of these guys that I sponsor were standing out there talking to this kid and he's over there with his back to me, showing them how to swing a golf club. And he's, you know, kind of showing this thing like this. And I'm thinking, Oh man, well, all these guys, that are facing me saw me come around the corner and they scattered like cockroaches when you turn the light on. Um, um, it, it's crazy. If you've ever lived in a place that had cockroaches like Houston, Donnie, you, you, you won't have cockroaches in your house, but my house in Houston always had cockroaches. And so, I mean, when you turn the light on and they just scatter everywhere. Well, that's what these guys were doing. And I, and it, I laughed and then I went, golly, I can't believe it. This kid still insists on not doing anything. So I walked over there and I tapped him on the shoulder and he turned around and he knew immediately he'd been busted. And he said, he said, Oh, Myers, I, I was just showing him. I, I said, I know, I know, I know. We've been through this. He said, Myers, don't start. I said, I, dude, I, I'm okay. I just, let me just ask you a simple question. Do you know everybody in that room? It's just a big wall of glass that separates outside from inside. I said, do you know everybody in there? And he goes, no. And I said, okay, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to stand right here and watch me for a second. And he goes, oh, Myers, I got, I said, stand right here and watch me for a second. And he said, okay. So I walk around and walk into the room. So, so I'm really, the reason I'm telling you this is there's two things that I, I, I kind of picked up a long time ago that I really like uh, passing on. One, when people are in a meeting and they're reading a big book before the meeting, they're hung out. 
look, nobody goes to a meeting to read a big book before the meeting. They're, they're, most of the time, they're nervous. They don't know anybody. They're, they're newer, uh, they're, but they're hung out. And the other way that you can always tell is when somebody walks in a room looking at the floor. Because we've all been there. We know what it's like to walk into an AA meeting new and we don't know anybody and, and we're just going to kind of, we're just nervous, right? And so that the, um, um, so I walk in the room and there's a guy reading a big book and I walk up to him and I go, that's a pretty cool book right there. What's your favorite part? And he'd look at me and he'd go, well, I, I don't really have a favorite part. I'm really pretty new. And I said, oh, no kidding. I said, hey, let me, let me show you what my favorite part is real quick. And he hands me the book and I look at it. I turn over to page 44 in We Agnostics, the first paragraph in We Agnostics. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. That little qualifying piece right there. Well, I'm going to read it to him. So I'm going to try to qualify him at the same time. I'm going to try to help him see what I, what eluded me for all those years. Um, and then I'll go, hey, you know, this meeting is getting to be really chaotic. There's going to be a whole bunch of people in here. We're going to split the meeting up. There's, we're going to, uh, we have a foundation meeting and a big, big, big book study. Um, why don't you, you want to come sit over next to me and I'll kind of show you how it all sets up. He go, yeah, that'd be great. I'm part, I'm sitting right there. He'd move his book over there. And then I look around the room. There's another big book. And I walk over there. This girl's reading a big book like this. And I go, that's, that's a pretty cool book like that. What, what's your favorite part? And she goes, well, I'm pretty new. And I just, Y'all get it? And it took me a couple more minutes to get another couple of people sitting over there with me. And then I just kind of looked over it. A buddy looking through the glass window and I won't tell you what I did. He, he got the picture. Um, the, um, that's on a Tuesday night on Thursday night when we have another book study and these, and I'm outside greeting uh, uh, and these people get out of their car and they walk across the parking lot. Who do you think is their best friend at primary purpose group Dallas? That crusty old guy that looks like Moses. That's me. And yes, I'm 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 there. And there, there y'all understand. I mean, I'm gonna connect this up just as quick as I possibly can and introduce them to as many people as I can. And and uh, what better way if you're brand new to start out um, your endeavor at trying to be of, of service? Listen, most of us through our whole life will forget most of the people that we know. I guarantee you, as you get older, you'll become hypersensitive to the people that affected your life when you were growing up, the people as you got involved with this kind of stuff. I'll never, ever forget Travis's kindness when he first called me and started talking to me, because we don't forget that kind of stuff. We don't forget that kindness that's shown. Um, and and it's, it's just, this is the reason why this stuff is so amazingly, um, amazingly powerful. The only thing that stands between me and this transformative experience with God is me and my crazy head and old ideas that tell me that I can't do this or that I, I, I'm, I'm wrong doing that or whatever the deal is. The book gives us a roadmap for exactly what we're supposed to do and when we're supposed to do it and what will happen after we do it. All of that stuff is there. One last thing and then I'll close. It's real quick. If you ever wonder where you are in this program, if you ever wonder where in the big picture, uh, we've got hundreds of years of sobriety sitting in this room tonight. If you ever wonder where you are specifically, one of the best ways that you can do this is to ask yourself, when I read these promises, 10 step promises, third step promises, nine step, what, all, there, there are jillions of them in there. When I read these promises, how many of them are true in my life? How many of these promises have manifested in my life? 
listen, I sponsored guys 30 years sober that none of them really had manifested other than the fact that they were sober. But I've also sponsored guys that were really young that were having these transformative experiences that were just kind of blown away by this stuff. Guys, the promises were either rhetorical crap that Bill Wilson was writing to sell books or they're real. And if they're real, then we need to ask ourselves these questions like this. Have these manifested? And if they have, mucho groovy. I love that. If they haven't, fine. I, I have some clarity on where I am in the program. I have some clarity that begins to tell me that maybe there's some things missing that I should be doing. Now, I guarantee you, because I'm a betting man, I'll bet you every dollar I got on me, which is about maybe a dollar, but I'll bet every dollar I have that with 99% of us, what happens is we've either drifted sideways and have trivialized prayer and meditation, or we trivialize 12-step work. Either one of the two will be detrimental to how you progress in the program. Either one of them. Um, but the, the two things we need to can, can get back in, in touch with and back on track with every day is that. We just have to make the decision. I'm not going to let anything be more important. My cell phone's not more important. My computer screen's not more important. My whatever. Um, Travis's collie dogs are not more important. Nothing is more important than my relationship with God and the time I'm spending with God. At the end of this stuff, guys, you'll look back and you'll begin to realize um, that your life means something because, because of your willingness to be of service to others. You manage to transform lives. And in some cases, you manage to save lives. And, and nothing could be headier. At the end of it, when you get old and crusty like me, you're not going to be sitting there counting coin and wondering how much money you made. You're not going to be looking. I'm telling you guys, as, as one that's lived it for 30 some odd years now, 32 years now, um, what's going to be the most important thing to you um, is that you were able to, um, because you were willing to do it, affect lives. They're pretty cool. I'll shut up, guys. Thank you all so much for letting me share. Thanks.